literally about five, seven minutes into the game, it became a witch hunt that it made McCarthy's red scare look like, you know, kindergartners having a pillow fight compared to the depths that my students were going to to try and hunt down Hitler. Everybody, it's me, Remy, and it's time for another weekly episode of Play Around and Find Out. On today's episode, I'm going to talk about playing board games with high schoolers, putting those Chromebooks away, and in this week's book review, I'll be talking about the playful pedagogy that comes from Katie Powell's 2019 book, Boredom Busters. So I'm a massive board game nerd. I love board games. I loved playing them when I was in high school. I loved getting together and playing Risk and Risk 2210 and any other derivative of those kinds of combat games. I like playing Settlers of Catan. I love collectible card games. I've started playing Magic the Gathering again. In addition to my love of tabletop role-playing games in Vampire the Masquerade and any form or genre of Dungeons and Dragons. But the types of board games I get to play at home are less exciting. My children are eight, almost seven, and five. So we get to play a lot of Candyland, a lot of Greedy Granny, some pie face, which means I get whipped cream in my face and the kids don't want to play anymore. We've started playing Uno Attack, which is fun, but playing any kind of strategic game, that kind of stuff, gets a little bit more difficult. But luckily enough, this semester I get to teach my AP Comparative Government class, which I'm teaching for the first time since I think 2019. In that class, we are primarily exploring six different countries in the United Kingdom, Russia, China, Nigeria, Mexico, and Iran. But we also have to look at a bunch of different broader themes. So we played two games recently. One of them I already had, the game Secret Hitler, that I got from backing it on Kickstarter what feels like a century ago. And then after seeing it played online, I bought a copy of Breaking Games' Where Doom. The concept behind both of these games are similar in nature. They have the look for your allies and crush your enemies kind of vibe. Secret Hitler, I think, can be played with a maximum of 10 players, and you have a disproportionate number of individuals who are labeled as liberals, and then you have a handful of individuals who are labeled fascists with one person who is labeled Hitler. The goal of the game is simple. The liberals either need to get all of their liberal policy pieces played, and it's just, it's not an ideology thing, it's literally just a piece of paper that says liberal, to get, I think it's five or seven of them passed, or to assassinate Hitler. The goal, if you are playing as a fascist, is to either get all of the fascist policies played, or to have Hitler elected as chancellor 
after the third policy is played, regardless of if it's liberal or if it's fascist. This game was fun to play with my class because we talked about embracing kind of those different ideologies, right? What is somebody who is going to play as a liberal think about in terms of cooperation? If they have suspicions about people, how will they sniff them out? And the same thing is true in trying to figure out both who the identity of the fascists are and the identity of Hitler. It's interesting in terms of looking at table talk that the gameplay initially was a little slow because while these students know each other fairly well at this point in the semester, you know, if you're not into role playing and you don't do it all that often, it takes a minute to set those, get those muscles going. But literally about five, seven minutes into the game, it became a witch hunt that it made McCarthy's Red Scare look like, you know, kindergartners having a pillow fight compared to the depths that my students were going to to try and hunt down Hitler. And it was interesting, as we kind of talked about the game after the fact, looking at how, you know, you may have benevolent individuals playing that are masking bad intentions and vice versa, to look at how people, good, bad, and different, may hide agendas into the different, you know, political ideologies they play, or the way they conduct themselves, the way that they, you know, try and engage with the public, that can we have a wolf walk around in sheep's clothing, or can we have somebody who is seemingly problematic, seemingly evil, you know, pave the, the road with good intentions. We ended up playing during our block period last week was We're Doomed by Breaking Games. We're Doomed has a very simple premise. You have 15 minutes to work together to collect all of the resources that are necessary to build a spaceship to get off the planet. Each player will roleplay as one of a different handful of systems of government that there are meritocracies, corporatocracies, uh, authoritarian systems, democracies, theocracies. Based on the type of government you are, you can collect so many resources, you can collect influence for free each turn depending on what your system is. The goal is to figure out how to either play together to accumulate and donate the resources that you need to get your entire table into space, or to react to different events, I believe, as we were playing, I had to allow the workers to revolt and I had to give up all of my resources and influence so production didn't get shut down. We had people nuking each other so we could have more chances to get on the spaceship. As I was watching other people play, the Illuminati showed up, there was a rapture, and the theocracy was automatically saved, that kind of stuff. I like this game. Again, it had that kind of first round play of being awkward where the kids didn't understand the mechanics and things like that, which is typical for any kind of first time play of any kind of game. But again, once we got into it, the kids figured out the strategy that I think we were all playing so stubbornly that in the first game, we failed to build one seat to get on the spaceship to leave the doomed planet. I think the second playthrough we got one, and then the third playthrough we had maybe two, but we, you know, killed three of the other players at the table with nuclear weapons. That became interesting in terms of talking about looking at incentives to cooperate versus acting selfish 
in an international relations sense, right? What incentives do you have to play nice with others versus what kind of incentives do you have to stay your ground and try and increase your influence so you can win the broader geopolitical game. The kids have been looking for other games for us to play, things that we can either have multiple iterations of during our block period each week, or something that we can kind of pick up and play along with throughout the semester. So, if you've got any kind of game that has a direct connection to anything political or anything economic, most definitely let me know. As I was watching kids play this game, I was thinking about how I could utilize these games in other contexts, right? Secret Hitler is either just kind of a fun engagement game, but its applications outside of a government or poli-sci class is probably pretty limited. But We're Doomed, I've come up with some ways in the back of my mind to replicate that game to play in economics, right? Where we can look at things like the tragedy of the commons, we can look at things like supply and demand, we can look at how irrational actors might throw off what can successfully happen in, you know, planned outcomes. How can somebody acting beyond their best interest really damage what is going on or could be going on for the rest of the world to struggle with. So again, if you have any kind of fun suggestions of games to look at in the most traditional board game sense of the phrase, feel free to send me a message through any of the social media, on my website, etc, etc, that you can all find listed in the show notes below this episode. Now it's time for the second segment where I want to review a book just like with last year's or just like with last week's interactive class, the book by the Merrills, I looked for another book that had some instant actionable items that I could take into my class right away. And this week's book is Boredom Busters by Katie Powell. If you're not familiar with Katie, she has been teaching since 2005 as either a special education teacher, a Title I teacher, an instructional coach, and a variety of other capacities that she talks about in her book. This book came out in 2019, and unlike last week where I just kind of read the book and then took notes on my own, this week on Twitter I dropped some of the nuggets from the book that I was a big fan of. What I really enjoyed in the beginning of the book was Katie's approach to talking about her experience as a special education teacher who had to co-teach with a gen ed teacher and some of the frustrations that came from the appearance that the regular classroom teacher was not trying to find meaningful ways to offer accommodations to uh, Katie's special ed student. Throughout the first chapter, she talks about how the big problem that a lot of teachers run into when it comes to accommodations is not a lack of will or a lack of desire, but through tireless research, through trial and error, it may not be knowing the most successful way to do so, to find the most successful way to engage a variety of different students regardless of their educational needs. One of the things that she says early on is that instead of teachers looking for someone or something to emulate, instead of administrators going, this is the model you have to teach, she concludes the first chapter with the very simple statement that 
Others don't need to teach the way I teach. They need to teach the way they teach. That is important because that's our identity as an educator. That is our identity as somebody who may be an expert in whatever content that we're teaching, but we need to find ways to adapt that method of teaching. What really hooks me as a comic book nerd is when she quotes Shuri. You get my girl from the Black Panther universe. I'm gonna read and be excited to check out anything that you write about. She cites Shuri saying, just because something works doesn't mean it can't be improved. She uses this as a vehicle to explore kind of the three phases of what happens in a traditional classroom setting, looking at tried and true things that teachers rely on, how we can evolve things like homework, worksheets, or lectures to be a little bit more engaging, to be a little bit more inclusive, to be able to adapt these tactics to a variety of different settings where you're not having to use all of your time in the world to come up with a brand new worksheet or a brand new method of assessing every single content piece. So in her book, she breaks it down into her three sets of busters. The first section is the worksheet busters. The second is the lecture busters. And then the third section talks about grading and homework busters. I like how her suggestions, especially for the worksheet busters, are broken down into either no prep, no materials, low prep, low materials, or more prep, more materials, but still worth it. Her argument with the worksheet busters is that we've got some kind of inherent trust in the worksheets that we like to use, right? That those are tried and true methods of thinking we're engaging our students in the content. And she comes up with some simple ways to change the way that students engage in the, the learning activities with worksheets. The first example is using paper airplanes or a snowball fight where a student gets a worksheet, they write their name on it, they answer the first question, they fold it up into an airplane or crumple it up into a snowball and whip it across the room. Who doesn't want to throw stuff in a classroom? That's me. I want to, I enjoy that kind of chaos. And somebody else then picks up that worksheet and does the next question. And then they crumple, fold it up, et cetera, et cetera. And on we go until the assignment is finished. Once everybody has worked through the assignment, then the original student gets their copy back and goes through and makes sure that all of the answers are correct. That they are assessing the works of their peers while they go through kind of the summary of the assignment. So this gives them some acts of physical engagement by throwing some things that lets them have some fun by whipping an airplane, throwing a snowball, doing whatever. But then it holds them accountable because not only are they doing work on a sheet for their classmates, but they're still being assessed on the final product with their name on it. So it increases the chance or the odds that they are mastering the content while they look through it. She's also got other suggestions in here, like musical desks, which is like a scoot activity. Speed dating, which I love using speed dating uh, instead of doing it with tradable question and answer cards, like Sheesh suggests. Uh, I've had my students research a topic 
and then people are speed dating and presenting their topic a minute at a time to different partners and they're taking notes in little tiny you know pocket notebooks that you can get on Amazon like 10 bucks for 40 of them and they're taking field notes on their dates and then engaging in some kind of wrap-up activity. In terms of looking at some of the low prep low materials she gives some brilliant suggestions on how I can definitely repurpose some of the unloved toys of my own kids at home that she's got ways that you can play hungry hungry hippos. My kids had a small ball pit all of those balls are now in a trash bag in the basement because they're they've outgrown it. But now I can find ways to utilize these balls to engage in a review game, to engage in some kind of competition throughout the room. I also love the idea and what we are trying next week after conferences is the activity strike a pose where instead of posing multiple choice questions to a class and having them answer on like Kahoot or quizzes or writing a solution on a whiteboard, they literally strike a a pose and we can look around the room and see who's got the right answer based on the number of people in given different silly poses, right? This kind of kinesthetic activity can break up the, the mendacity of a day. It gets them laughing at each other as they have to take on, you know, some odd poses and it makes it fun to check into again. The stuff that I specifically used in my classes this week were a couple of her lecture busters, where I don't lecture all that often anymore, because you can tell by listening to me I have white noise for a voice. I wanted to break up and add some more checks for understanding throughout. So the two examples that I used and will link her templates in the show notes, the first one is called Alphabet Soup where you give students a letter, and then based on whatever content you are covering that day, they have to come up with a word from your content that starts with that letter. They have to explain the connection, and then they have to come up with two additional terms that start with that letter. So I was teaching the legislative process to my students that we had played an iCivics game called Lawcraft, where they have to make legislation and get it through Congress and pass a veto. We watched the the classic I'm Just a Bill that its pressing number of students still had not seen by their senior year in high school. And then we used the knowledge from the game and the video across two parts of different class periods to then work through the actual process of the legislative branch. And instead of planning a letter, I'm very chaotic, very Jesus take the wheel. We used a random letter generator and thank God it didn't come up with like Q, X, or Z. They got the letter R. And some students went the predictable route of, you know, picking representatives or regulations. But I had some students who write about, who wrote about the rules committee or committees reporting out on a bill. We had people talking about rejection or ratification of different treaties. And you can hear me flipping through it because some of them came up with, you know, connections that we may not have talked about yet or talked about in a while where people were like, well, we can talk about referendums. We can talk about things being returned to a committee that they came up with all kinds of good suggestions. And this was a quick kind of check for understanding in between two activities that they really enjoyed doing. The second one that I did was her movie night lecture buster, where we were talking about game theory in my economics class, that 
we started by very simply talking about the prisoner's dilemma and how we can look at, you know, the optimum situation or the optimum outcome where people, you know, should respond. We got to talk about the Nash equilibrium in terms of us responding based on how we think someone else is going to react. And then we looked at two examples of a British game show called Golden Balls, where the final part of the game is the prisoner's dilemma over splitting money. So her movie night protocol is very simple, where you have them give a movie title and explain how that movie explores the content. So I had people give me a couple of different episodes of TV shows, and they were like, it is this season, this episode. I had somebody talk about how Interstellar was an example of the prisoner's dilemma in terms of some of the debates on the habitability of planets. I had somebody talk about the Dark Knight, right? The scene where there are bombs on both ferries, both boats have the boat to blow up another one, or have the remote to blow up another one, and what do they do? I got examples of Red Notice, but More importantly, I had people turn in things like Family Feud, the game show where I had to go, well, this is an example of competition, but it's not quite the prisoner's dilemma, and here's why. So it gave me the opportunity to be able to give quick feedback to my clusters of students who were discussing their answers instead of giving them homework, letting it marinate overnight. It allowed me to get them talking in a structure with a simple task that they could find some kind of control over the topic area and be able to give quick feedback instantly. There are other things in here like recipe cards or six degrees of separation, things that I am definitely looking at finding ways to implement in the activities that I've got planned after parent-teacher conferences. The last section she kind of talks about is how we can save some of our time and engage in a meaningful use of homework. If we want to worry about not over-planning, not wasting all of our time creating single-use activities, that we can attempt to catch the mythical unicorn that is time to find a way to master it. And her homework busters are ways that you can adapt either some of the worksheet or lecture buster activities in terms of how students can meaningfully engage in conversations about homework the day after. Or I like the idea of the academic autopsy where students are giving a post-mortem on an assignment and talking about what went right or what went wrong. I like the idea of the gallery walk to look at answers to questions on an assignment that as I don't give a whole lot of homework aside from readings, this gives me a way to think of how we can expedite some of the discussion of issues in these while students are maybe looking at exemplar responses to a a short answer question or how my economic students can walk around and look at the answers to different types of graphing programs. Problems. And she also has, you know, examples of how you can turn hungry, hungry hippos or the six degrees of separation and that kind of stuff into a connection that you discuss in class after the homework. So instead of giving kids an assignment that sits in our two grade tray for a couple of days, it becomes an active uh, tool for them to discuss throughout, you know, the beginning of the next class period. So 
I'm a big fan of this book, that it gave several actionable things that I could slide into my classes, things that I could test the water with, that I could introduce new expectations for an activity, and then if the kids like it, right, instead of making a brand new worksheet, I've got this template for these little exit ticket size slips that I can either print off or throw on Google Classroom for us to engage in a discussion of. So I definitely think this book is worth reading. I'll have the link to it through Amazon in the show notes, but if you want some quick, actionable suggestions, you can either check the book out or she has a bunch of stuff up on her website, which is, I think, Beyond the Desk, which I'll also have a link to down below. That's it. I think it went a little bit longer than last week, but I got to try out several strategies from... Katie's book. I talked about two board games that we played. I'm very excited to see what kind of feedback y'all have. Do you have some boredom busters similar to what Katie offers in her book? you have any game suggestions that you want me to dive into and, you know, experiment while playing alongside with my students? As always, let me know in the comments on the episode. You can send me a message through any of my social media channels that are all in the show notes. But until next week, y'all, it's time to go play around and find out. All right, everybody. I just want to take a quick second at the end of the podcast to thank you for listening to another episode of Play Around and Find Out. If you look in the show notes, you will find all of the ways that you can keep up with my hijinks all over the internet that you can find me at teachersplayground.com. Playground is P-L-A-I-G-R-U. O-U-N-D dot com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook or on TikTok under the Teacher's Playground handle. Or you can find me on Twitter, because I'm not calling it X, because Pluto's still a planet, baby, uh, at Rimmy, R-I-M-M-E-Y, A-P-Gov. You can also keep an eye out for whatever I've got going on in terms of blog posts throughout the week over on teachersplayground.com. But as always, if you find something that you like, share this out. Help me get an audience of people who are interested in my musings on education, play, and creativity, and how this old dog is attempting to learn a bunch of new tricks to create engaging, active, and playful learning experiences for all of my students. So until next time, y'all, it's time to play around and find out.